Hey friends, welcome to Waterworks Ministries podcast, episode number 13. We are in season two, talking about evil and the problem of evil, spiritual warfare, and those kind of things. And in today's episode, we have the Reverend Dr. Renee Ford as our guest. So thank you, Reverend Dr. Renee Ford. We talk about two questions in this episode that Renee gets as a pastor. Um, And these two questions are inextricably linked. Why do bad things happen to decent people? And do I really need to forgive? As you'll hear, Renee has firsthand knowledge of working through these two questions repeatedly. And that there's so much that can go into actually answering them in an honest, life-giving, and faithful way. These are two really important questions for our lives as human beings in relationship with God. And a quick answer is not really ever the best answer. So thanks again to Renee for your interview and sharing your wisdom with us. Before we get started uh, with the interview, I have a couple other notes before we get started, as I said. Uh, Waterworks Ministries has a few openings for spiritual direction and coaching. So you can go to our website at www.waterworksministries.org to learn more about spiritual direction and coaching and to schedule your spiritual direction session through the Contact Us page. That'll send us an email and we'll get in contact with you either through phone or email. We are also now scheduling workshops for spring and summer of 2018. So if you'd like Waterworks Ministries to come and do a workshop or retreat at your church or for your group, we can do those on prayer, healing, dignity, and a whole host of other topics. So also send us a note through our Contact Us page on the website. Enjoy the interview. I am your host, Reverend Karen Weiss, and I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Welcome to the Waterworks Podcast. I am Karen Weiss. I am your host, and with me today is Reverend Dr. Renee Ford. Um, She is a colleague of mine in the United Methodist Church and has been in pastoral ministry for upwards of 25 years. So welcome, Renee. Thank you. Um, You asked me to tell a little bit about who I am and what I do, and I don't know if you want to hear all of the things about who I am and what I do, but... You do um, a lot. (laughs) Yeah, and it's all sort of, it it all works together in a very symbiotic way, but upon first hearing, people probably think that it's a little bit strange. So I am an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, and I've been serving in pastoral ministry appointed pastoral ministry since 1998. Prior to that, I did some youth ministry and campus ministry. Um, And so I serve three churches out of five on a charge, where I'm the the elder elder in the appointment. And um, I've been at at two of those churches uh, since 2003. So that's kind of a long time in the United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. And I went to less than full-time in ministry in order to pursue a PhD at Penn State and essentially without intentionally pursuing this at first become a learning designer 
and working with instructors and designing and developing their online courses. So I kind of live in two different worlds, but they both kind of go together in an interesting way. And one helps and supports the other. I'll stop there. <laughs> so where did you grow up and how did you get to be a pastor? I grew up in the northeast corner of New York State in a very, very small town on the Canadian and Vermont borders. Um, the daughter of a, a stay-at-home mom who became a bookkeeper and a, and a truck driver in a very Roman Catholic part of the country. About 90% of the people there, if they go to church, are Catholic. Wow. And, and I started out in the world as, as a Roman Catholic. I was raised by parents whose parents were devout Catholics. I even have nuns in my uh, heritage and that sort of thing. So you're and exceptionally priests. holy then. Yes. And my grandmother... <laughs> Uh, my mother's mother, who was a, a very devout Catholic who lived with us until I, until she died when I was uh, three or four years old. Um, I don't know if she'd be rejoicing that I'm a Christian or rolling in her grave that I'm not a Catholic. <laughs> but, um, but my parents, you know, they were kind of more of the hippie, we'll say, persuasion and very um, open-minded about religion and faith they didn't want for me to have the kind of experience that they had which was that religion and church were imposed on them so they gave me choice uh, so i did i went to church i don't know a few times a year growing up after my grandmother died um and went to uh, ccd release time they so we went during the, the school day oh. we would go walk to the um church and, and learn to, so i made my first communion as a catholic and uh, then i kind of went to nowhere's land and I, and really i would only go to church with when i would stay at friends houses and they'd bring me and it was usually more theologically conservative mm. friends who did go to church and insist that, you know, if you have a friend over, they have to go to church the next day. So I went to Wesleyan church. I went to assembly of God church. I went to Wesleyan camp meeting. There were still camp, are still camp meetings in my hometown. So real, and, and I would occasionally go to this church in the Nazarene uh, and vacation Bible school and around age, whatever, however old you are in fifth or sixth grade, I decided, because I was this kind of a kid, that I would walk to check out the Methodist church down the street on my own, just kind of dressed up and decided I was going to church. And the pastor uh, at the time was going to seminary at McGill in Montreal, and his wife was a music teacher, and they had this junior choir, this junior bell choir. I, had, I wasn't even really, I think I had just started playing trumpet at that time. But they just welcomed me in and invited me to come and be part of the music stuff. And I thought it was great fun. So mm -hmm. I kept going and got some, ha ended up having some mentors who were, you know, s seemed really old to me at the time. who are probably my <laughs> age now. And I'm 45. Uh, but, and that really had a very formative, played a very formative role in me 
becoming a person of faith. So did my Catholic upbringing, but this was sort of a, like, I chose to, I, I, I wanted to be there. And I, and I was learning about God in a way that was exciting and new and different. They invited me to go to church camp. That was hugely important in me, in me both becoming and continuing to be a Christian and then also discerning a call to ministry. Um, and then in my teenage years, I was very far from church and, and that sort of thing. I never in a million years could have envisioned being a pastor. Absolutely didn't want to be a pastor. Thought that even though I thought that there were great people in the church and that I loved God, I didn't think you had to be to go to church to be a good person for sure. And why the heck would I want to be part of something that had so many hypocrites mm-hmm. in it? And valid that none questions. of my friends, <laughs> all <laughs> valid questions. None of my friends wanted to be a part of either. So, and and I was, you know, I was sort of a wild child. So, for me to at, at the age of twenty one is when I figured out that I was that I had this call to ministry, which I had no idea what to do with that. Didn't have the language to say I was called to ministry. All I could say was, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor to my pastor mm-hmm. at the time, who was campus ministry at the university that I was attending, and um, and so I tried to find every way I could to run from the call to ministry, but uh, somehow or other, God kept getting a hold of me, and mm-hmm. sometimes nudging, sometimes pushing, sometimes shoving me violently on the direction that I should go. And, um, yeah. And here you are. (laughs) Many years later. Yes, many years later. (laughs) So we're going to talk about some practical aspects of spiritual warfare today around the ideas of suffering and forgiveness. And so you have two questions that you get asked on a regular basis from... Mm -hmm parishioners or church members and so why don't you start with the theodicy one okay so one of the most common questions i think that we all have it's not just church members asking pastors but everybody asking god and the universe and whatever they cling to you know why do good bad things happen to good people and Try as you might, there's no simple answer to that question. And if you try to give a simple answer, you're really doing a disservice to God and probably the person you're giving an answer to, to be fair. And I'm not sure we'll ever fully comprehend, nor do we want to, Yeah. why there's evil and suffering and justice, oppression, all of the things that we, when we become United Methodists, say we're going to stand up against. Why do they exist in the world and how do we even come to terms with the fact that they exist alongside of a God who loves us and cares about us and died for us? Um, And so usually when I'm asked that question, I like to maybe I'd like to say I like to model Jesus. It's not that's not the reason I do it, but I might follow a question by question because usually there is a question behind that question and, and there's something that's happened in that person's life that they're wrestling with you know so part of it is just understanding what what have they been exposed to and what what is what's going on in that person's life that is 
cause them to be in a place where, because what's really happening a lot of the time when somebody asks that question is whether or not they can have faith in a God who would allow these things to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a struggle I think everyone has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And how we deal with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the question. And sometimes I think, and, and in fact, in, uh, in Rob Bell's book, What is the Bible? Very uh, simple name, yeah. right? Although um, it has a very, very long subtitle. It does have a long subtitle. And he's really proud of that subtitle. <laughs> Which I didn't write down and I can't remember what it is. So um, you'll have to look it up, those of you who are listening to this podcast. But he says that that's the, the wrong question. That's the wrong question to ask. Mm. Why did God allow dot 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 whatever that might be? Mm. Um, and and yet, it's really hard for us to not go there. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In you, know, you're taught that God is omniscient and God is omnipotent and God is omnipresent. Mm-hmm. And if God is all powerful and all knowing and everywhere, why can't, why, why, mm-hmm. why wouldn't God just, make why it doesn't stop? God intervene all the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, certainly from personal experiences, I, I can say that, um, you know, when I've been in situations where horrible, horrible things have happened, it didn't. It only made me, my woundedness, deeper, I guess I'll Mm -hmm. say, to dwell on thinking that it's God's fault. Mm -hmm. Because in some ways, it can be easier to say, God either let this happen or didn't prevent this from happening, than to look at the bigger picture of what we know Mm -hmm. as sin and free will and all of the brokenness and messiness of the world and a a god who if we have an image of god as parent as a loving parent who has given us this opportunity to to make choices and some of those choices build up and 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 some break down and tear apart and um I I don't know if I've always been I think for, so the second question you haven't gotten to yet is is about forgiveness yeah. mm-hmm. but I think that they're tied together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm one who's quick to forgive. I don't but I but I'm not one who like will hold on to grudges. Mm-hmm. Which is a good thing, I think, but it also makes it challenging sometimes to help folks work through what have been in some cases lifelong you know Mm. grudges Mm -hmm. that people have been carrying around because somebody did did do something horrible and unthinkable to them or to their family you know um but in you know one life example you from my own experiences something with my with my own brother who right now we've got an 
opioid epidemic in our mm-hmm. in our country, and he was certainly um, affected by that as well. At, at age 27, he had a major back surgery and became addicted to pain meds, and he and my mom had always had sort of a contentious relationship, sort of a love-hate relationship. And so he was, I think, seeking to numb his pain, both the physical pain, but there's almost always a, an emotional pain that goes, that's behind the physical pain. And, and so he became addicted. He was also seeking love and support and encouragement and met these people online who are from Colombia great country maybe it is i don't know all i know is my word you know i'm not (laughs) dissing people from columbia i'm just saying that if you're trying to meet friends and you have that background probably just maybe um that's not the most wise choice yeah so (laughs) the circles that he would have run in Mm -hmm. probably regardless of country yes would have brought him in contact with people who would have been able to provide him with something better that he was looking for, but would not have, you know, ended up with the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, he made friends with people down there and, um, thought that they had accepted him as a loving family and was making plans to basically make a future with this, with these folks. And, in the meantime, they were taking advantage of his money, which wasn't a huge amount, but if you're living in a developing nation, it's a lot of money. And so he was supporting them financially and uh, able to go there and have access to all kinds of substances that one might want access to. And and the word came out seven years ago that, I mean, I get this phone call that he's in ICU and that they said it was a drug overdose and not expected to live. And they tried to extort money out of me and they, all of these things, um, he did not live. Uh, and there were a lot, I'll never know everything that happened, but I do know from the autopsy that, you know, he was murdered. It wasn't just, Mm. it was a drug overdose. He was, uh, suffered a blow to the head he um, and so I'll never know what happened I'll never get an apology from the people who did things to him I will uh, you know always live with more questions than answers to that and yet I I believe in a loving God who even loves those who did these horrible things mm-hmm in spite of the evil that they committed. I think you have to separate sometimes the person from the acts. And that's really hard to do, which gets to the forgiveness side of things. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't believe in cheap forgiveness. I don't think no, that does no. anyone any good. But I think that some folks feel like if they don't say that they're sorry, then they're going to be punished by God or whatever the mindset might be but there is I'm trying to think of there's a saying that says something to the effect of you know when you remain angry with somebody and you've and you refuse to forgive them that it's like uh drinking, drinking poison 
thinking the other person is going to die. It's going to die. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a wrestling match and it's a horrible thing that you wouldn't wish on one wouldn't wish I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy that circumstance or anyone who's gone through something like that. But there is something liberating that happens when you don't allow that person like they've already done enough to you. Mm. They've done horrible things to you, but you we have control over how much more harm they can do to you and actually the act of forgiving is one of sort of basically saying this is in god's hands Mm -hmm. right god didn't prevent this evil thing from happening but these people chose yeah and my brother chose you know there were all kinds of bad choices that were rooted in what i would call evil um but i am only allowing that evil to have more power if i continue to harbor anger and bitterness and resentment because wouldn't the evil one just thrive on that Mm -hmm. if all my energy were expended on that negativity and that hatred and you wouldn't eventually it would be all consuming Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't be able to function right generally yeah you couldn't you know for you specifically you wouldn't be able to do your role as pastor you wouldn't be able to model Jesus, you know, in in the love and acceptance. and Or even know. things like, you know, maybe I wouldn't even be able to accept that somebody could have a loving relationship with their sibling or, mm-hmm. you know, all of these different eventualities. But I, you know, I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal. I'm not saying that I did the, the handle things perfectly. I guarantee you that I did not. I promise you that. Um, but it's... it's by the grace of God and through some gift, um, I I was able to not at some point, not mm-hmm. the whole, not immediately. Oh yeah. <laughs> to 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 see that there are things that happened that I had no control over, and I can't do anything about those. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard pill to swallow, but it is what it is as they say right Mm -hmm. but i can control how i i react to it it was really impacted at the uh willow creek global leadership summit uh hearing immaculate i probably said her name horribly wrong um who lived through the rwandan genocide and Mm -hmm. her whole family besides her brother who was out of the country at the time in senegal was murdered all because they were part of the wrong tribe. Mm-hmm. And she had to hole up in a small little bathroom with, I think, six other w- women, um, hid by a, a Protestant pastor. She was Roman Catholic. And she talks about the power to forgive. I think her mm-hmm. book is um, Left to Tell. And says, you know, if I was able to forgive this, this horrible genocide where people were mm-hmm. killing my family for nothing other than the fact of, what tribe they were from then how much more can those of us who've had lesser atrocities committed forgive so i think you can't talk about evil without talking about forgiveness or at least our response to 
those evil things that seep into life. And it's easy to look at a, those kinds of situations, the Rwandan genocide, a, you know, murder in Colombia and a, attempts at extortion and that sort of thing. Those are the big, like, okay, we know that's evil. We can name it, put, you know, put the sign on that one. We, there's no question about that. But then there are all these little um, lingering and creeping kinds of undercurrents that, that are are just there always have been from the beginning of time and people of faith are essentially called to um well speak out against evil to not to try to um live in a, another better uh if you want to call it more holy way but sometimes i also think people in the church whether it's church leaders or church people or whoever people of faith think that if you can just prescribe a certain uh, list of do's and don'ts mm. don't listen to this kind of music don't watch this kind of tv don't engage in these kinds of um activities activities yeah. words don't swear um don't be around these people like um and i'm not saying that we shouldn't be working to try to live lives of integrity and ethics and and holiness i mean we are methodists uh, so we are <laughs> we are working to our way toward perfection um but, but with god's help yeah, with, yes with god's help i will is our ordination vows um but i think that we've missed the boat when we think when we focus wholly on sin and and then also a mindset of who's in and who's out mm. and thinking that if you can just engage in certain activities and behaviors and, and avoid certain other ones that everything is good because that's really kind of in a nutshell the stuff that Jesus and, and, and scriptures spoke out against was not just being basically legalistic and pharisaic about our our faith that you can't just go through the motions that it's 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 heart change and it's it's not as simple as you know avoiding unclean people or mm -hmm. unclean things it's it's really um it's something much deeper and jesus with the people that he hung out with pretty much said eh I don't think there are any unclean people anymore. <laughs> At least my interpretation of of what he did was like, you know what? It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, and we focus on like uh, those who were elected and predestined, and who's in in the good book, and who's yeah. out, and and it's an interesting thing that happens that we tend and I'm using we loosely, but when you hear folks talking about those who are going to heaven or those who are chosen or those who are whatever language fill in the blanks they're always in right have you ever noticed like no they never say well i know i'm not going but i'm glad that aunt edna's going or whatever the case may be and i really and maybe it's a controversial mindset but i and i believe that it it's supported by scripture that 
You know, God's desire is that all people would be saved. Mm-hmm. Tax collectors and sinners. Pastors who are as messed up as somebody like me. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> the Colombians that, that yep. did those horrible things. The person who murdered a church member of mine's sibling. The... Um, Mm-hmm. You can pick who it is who you think is the most horrible example of uh, of person that there is. I'm thinking of the, a Bible study that I did for as part of my ordination project, where I took a group of what ended up being women through the International Justice Mission Bible Study, God of Justice, and no matter how many times I said through that, that we need to be praying not only for the people who have been trafficked and who have been enslaved, but also for those who are enslaving and Mm -hmm. who are trafficking because they are children of God created in God's image and of divine worth. Something's happened with them. Yeah, to make them the way that they are. Mm-hmm. And no matter how many times we talked about that, even at the end, you know, this one woman just outburst, well, they're evil. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. <laughs> what they're doing is. What they're doing is terrible, awful, yeah. sin-filled action. But who are the people that we love to hear the stories of the most? I mean, look at Paul. Yeah. What a... He was a jerk. Yeah, there are other words that are going through my mind, but I know that this is going out and on the airwaves. So, I mean, he was the worst of the worst. Think, yeah. and, He murdered and, people for fun. Yes. Really. So, so do we say that that was then and things were different in biblical times? And, you know, God used that as an extreme example, but God certainly wouldn't do something like that now. Mm. Or do we say, like that there is even much more rejoicing for Mm -hmm. that prodigal son who came home, you know, the lost sheep, the lost coin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's so much easier for us to point a finger at somebody or something else at the other and talk about what's wrong with them because that, well, you know, then we don't have to work on our own stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and we can find a, a scapegoat that's somebody other than Jesus, you know, we can, we can say how horrible that person is and we can vilify them. And that's not to say that there aren't plenty of examples of people who have committed horrible atrocities Mm -hmm. that I, I personally can't wrap my head around say Hitler. Let's use that for an example. Or Stalin. Let's go with Stalin. (laughs) How could God redeem that person? But that's the point, isn't it? Like, I, I mean, and yes. we won't know on this side of uh, the grave yeah. whether or not they asked for forgiveness and were redeemed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not for us to know. Thank God. I don't have that kind of time and energy <laughs> in my life. But um, well, you think almost as, as Christians, we're called to hope for that, mm-hmm. which is so against the grain especially in dare i go here in the political climate which that we have which is so polarized where 
it's us and them and it's Republican versus Democrat and it's black versus white and it's everybody's just unable to have a civil conversation. Mm-hmm. Not everybody. I don't like using huge generalizations like that, but we're, we're in a climate where it, it becomes easy to be divided and not to think about any commonalities across mm-hmm. um I don't know whatever Groupings spectrum yeah <laughs> of of folks and I find that very sad because mm-hmm. I think that's another way if we were talking about evil that evil manifests itself mm-hmm. in dividing folks and put putting them against one another because then all of your energy your effort your resources your time everything you have is so focused on trying to either one up the other person prove them right prove them wrong or fight with them or so on and so mm-hmm. forth and we can't get anything good accomplished mm-hmm. that's something that seems pervasive right now mm-hmm. and it makes me think of the whole theodicy question you know why is this happening mm. dot 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 where if we had the culture of accepting what is happening in some way in being able to work through it with God's help and heal, not, not discount the suffering, but I think you have to name it, you know, to name it, walk Mm -hmm. through it, acknowledge the hurt that you have felt, but not continue to be bound by it. Yes. And, and it's the not continuing to be bound by it that I see you know, in that question of why is this happening? Mm -hmm. Because that just spins. It does. And it's paralyzing. Yeah. The world, really. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I can't imagine that could be very pleasing to God. (laughs) It's just. That might be I don't like to put words in God's mouth. That's yeah. far be it from me. But I just don't think that's how we were created to both interact and exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're 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 missing out on this abundant life that mm. we're promised. That's right in front of us, but we, you know, we're our own worst enemies a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Now that's. Not to say, I, I don't want to heap blame on, on uh, those who are, are victims of of atrocities that they had no control, no over. control over, and that was not their fault. And to make them think that, oh, if they could just change their mindset, that hmm. it'd all be better. I don't at all want to minimize those realities and atrocities. But... Um, and... One of the things that I think is interesting, at least for us as Methodists, we are very much about free will. Mm -hmm. And God is not going to really bind someone else's free will so that we get what we want, generally, I think. And so God might not want what is happening to happen, but at the same time, there's that relationship 
between people and the created order that cause things to happen that are atrocities and that impact people who collateral damage, who are collateral damage. Well, and the overarching pattern in scripture that continues to be our pattern is that we're didn't sin Holmes or whatever his name was in the first disciple Bible study say, mm. you know, we're a covenant making and a covenant breaking people. Mm. Mm. And that plays into it as well. And, and it, it's not a new problem, mm. the, which is a sad thing in the sense that we have a very strong propensity against learning from history and changing the pattern. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the Christ story is one of um, providing another way mm -hmm. that it, that takes us to this new reality and, and a wholeness and a, and a, redemption a redeeming of, of mm -hmm. humanity but for whatever reason and we call it sin in the church we just collectively do stupid things that um, can distance us you know we get glimmers and glimpses and sometimes you know those the heaven on earth does break through mm -hmm. And we and we celebrate that, and then there are other times where it's like, how how much more, God? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know, haven't you heard my cries? <laughs> yeah. Um, or the voice of Job. You know, I haven't done anything wrong. Well, here, let me send you these friends who are a bunch of jerks who are going to tell you, oh, you, you must have done something wrong. Just ask for forgiveness and it'll, it'll get better. <laughs> oh, the story of Job. <clears throat> but, you know, that's not one that has a... I mean, some could, somebody could say that it has a happy ending, right? But let's face it. He still lost all that. He had to go through that horrible thing. And He had pus and wounds coming out of his skin. But And he kept his faith through it all, which is amazing. But it's a very ancient story, so much so that if you read the, the subtext of Job, every other verse is like a meaning of Hebrew uncertain, meaning of Hebrew uncertain. But the, the overarching story of it seems to be, from what we can gather from uh, what we're given through those who have yeah. devoted their lives to interpretation of said scriptures is you know god essentially did let that happen mm -hmm. i mean the yeah. accuser said almost as as if he were uh um you know like okay well how about your servant job mm -hmm. let's let's see how let's see how he does god did let that happen mm -hmm. well and does it, that make god a Big fat jerk. <laughs> well, the part that I like best about the whole story of Job is that God actually points Job out mm -hmm. 
to as his exemplar, as his exemplar. model. <laughs> like this is, you know, this is who I hold high on the earth. Mm-hmm. And the accuser is like, hey, it's time for me to mess with him. And there's no condemnation of mm. of him. No. Uh. Uh-uh. It was like, okay, yeah, let's let's go. Let's see how it goes down. Yeah. He'll keep his faith. And he said, but spare his life. Yeah. That was the one caveat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can only go so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't get the... There's not a Job 2, right? <laughs> so we don't hear how that horrible experience that he wouldn't wish on his worst enemy transformed his life and faith yeah. in God and that even those three jerk face friends were able to see it, it, yeah. things a little bit differently because there was a prevalent mindset in that day and age. And I do believe that still exists here and now that you, oh, if these things are happening to you. You must've done something wrong. Like, yeah, you're being punished by God, but that wasn't the case at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end, God doesn't really answer Job's question. Mm-mm. either he says where were you when i formed the earth you know just realize your place job okay just keep the faith man i've got bigger fish to fry just <laughs> yeah leviathan and i are <laughs> are working things out mm-hmm. yeah and i to me that's one of those things that took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that God is not actually going to answer some of my questions, mm-hmm. which just really frosts my tears. Yeah, you can't cross it off of your list. No. <laughs> yes. And, and Renee knows me pretty well. <laughs> like there are things I like to get finished and then move on. And that is, that is the question. Why? I've stopped asking only because I know I'm not going to get an answer. Because God has proven maybe that it is not for us to know. Yeah, either it's not for us to know, we can't handle it, Mm -hmm. which I think don't want to know. We don't want to know. Yeah, there's there's a lot in theodicy and the study of evil and suffering that I really think we don't want to know. Oh, if yeah. we knew really what was happening. Yeah. And most of the time, we can't even begin to see God at work mm. in those horrible times in our lives until we're, we've are we moved beyond that. There's time that has passed. We can look back and say, oh, right, like... Mm. You know, that, I, I can see it differently now. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, and even though there's no way to, again, minimize the horrible things that have happened, God is still working to redeem even those situations mm-hmm. as God is best able and, and redeem us in the process as well and all of humanity. So, um, I, I used to say a lot, I don't say so much anymore, not because I don't believe it, but that, you know, we, 
we wouldn't know what good is without the contrast of mm. evil or bad. Mm -hmm. And the reason I don't say it is because it makes it seem like, well, you, you have to have this like dualistic mm. <laughs> mentality. And I don't, I'm not so much of a black and white sort of a person. I'm more of a, a both and kind of a person. We yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> And so I think that you can have both, um, the, the reality of sin and evil w with alongside a God who suffers, knows pain mm -hmm. and evil and horrible things and who, uh, who works to redeem that and to, to, to take all of the ugliness and the messiness and, and to, to try to build something beautiful out of it in spite of, of, of what it may have been mm -hmm. that we may or may not see in our lifetimes forever mm -hmm. yeah and we're supposed to believe, believe in hope right yeah and yet, we <laughs> and yet we have hope and yet sometimes it's yeah the the cry of how long mm -hmm. how long will this happen i think there's a pretty important reason why the Israelites were in the wilderness mm. for 40 years. I mean, was it, whether it was a literal 40 years or not, the point is longer than you could imagine enduring something yeah. that is awful. Mm -hmm. An entire generation, generation of, of having to deal with stuff. Um, and only eating manna and quail. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I had a bumper crop of zucchini this summer, and I couldn't imagine eating any more zucchini or squash for a little while. Right now, I can't imagine 40 years of the same stuff. <laughs> yeah. The stories... One of the things that I did several years ago was read through the Bible in approximately 50 days. It was quick. It's a lot of pages. It is a lot of pages. <laughs> and it's a, you know, there was, you know, it was about an hour to an hour and 10 minutes every day. And the thing that I saw over and over again was humans' propensity really to just be stupid. Um, and like you were saying earlier, repeat the same mistakes over and over again and have the tendency to wander away from God. The other part of that that I noticed was that the narrative of especially the Old Testament was that God does not leave right. regardless of whether we wander. So we think we're wandering and yet God is with us all the same, maybe not in the same way, but well, and think about the culture that that was, or cultures that that, mm -hmm. that uh, the, the Hebrew scriptures mm -hmm. were speaking to was one very much of, you know, that God was location specific, mm -hmm. not the one true God, our God, but, but the gods, the pagan mm -hmm. gods of the time, they were location specific. Um, they demanded all of these offerings and sacrifices, and it was never enough. And you were never sure, you know, okay, did this happen because I 
pissed God off and I didn't give enough uh, grain or, or, or livestock or, yeah. or, or whatever? Do I need to give more of an offering? And it was sort of like this passive aggressive relationship with God who was who you had to go to mm-hmm. and um, who never seemed to be happy unless your crops went well and and, and, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing and then oh you mm-hmm. must have done the thing, same the thing right but then the next year when things didn't go well okay well what should I change this time so there was this whole sense of like this is a God who 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 can be anywhere mm-hmm. um, who, who, if you fast forward to the, the Christian scriptures, you know, who provides the sacrifice, well, even in the Hebrew scriptures, provides the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what happened with Abraham and Isaac, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't weird for Abraham to have been asked to um, sacrifice his son in a world where... That happened all the time. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, okay, well, he's just like the other gods. I guess it's my turn, yeah. right? Well, yeah, because... Abraham didn't have to ask God how to sacrifice. Nope. Mm-mm. He just you know, like Abraham, okay, pack the firewood. I'm going. Yeah, Abraham knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Isaac knew what was knew happening. What was going on? Yeah. Like, where's the lamb? <laughs> yeah, or the ram. Um. So it was sort of taking what was happening in the world that was that was a manifestation of evil shall we say mm-hmm. and redeeming that story and showing a god who had a different way of mm-hmm. uh, mode of operation shall we speak yeah. when i moved to state college many moons ago at this point one of the books of the bible that we did was exodus in our Bible study on Sunday morning. And the teacher who was leading the class really um, got into detail with us in terms of the tabernacle. And it was fascinating to learn that the tabernacle that Moses had constructed, um, the tent, it was so much smaller than Mm. any other deities living quarters we'll say and just the difference in that like the juxtaposition between okay god is is literally here in either a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud Mm -hmm. but he has this tiny dwelling place (laughs) it's like hmm that's odd but it speaks to the speaks to the culture Right. That God was trying to get these people to learn another way. Yeah. We don't have to go to God. God comes to us. Mm-hmm. You know, God isn't out to get us. Um, that, you know, that there's a different model of, of even mm-hmm. sacrifice mm-hmm. required because it's not that they didn't have to sacrifice things in order to be faithful to God mm-hmm. but it wasn't um, it, it's not like there was a okay you know 
I'm going to give you this much money and um, this many cool things. Mm. You know, you can buy off God, basically. Yeah. It's only faith mm. in that God who would go everywhere and mm. be a champion of the people and um, continue to extend the invitation in spite of all of the many times that they did wander astray. Um, tell me that that's not the story of, of a God who wants to redeem all people. And I, I'd have trouble believing that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But sometimes it's easier just to say, well, you know, there is eternal punishment and mm. you deserve to burn in hell or something like that. You know, I mean, we can laugh yeah. at that, but that's really kind of the message that a lot yeah. of people are hearing of what it means to be a Christian. Like if mm. you don't go to church and follow quote unquote the rules, you're destined for hell and you're going to burn. Mm -hmm. Now, without unpacking all that, because we're far that's into the conversation. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, isn't it a more compelling story to talk about the love of of God and the desire of God to redeem mm -hmm. and make whole that which was so painfully broken? Mm -hmm. um, the seminary that I went to, part of the mission statement says that you know, there's the assumption, although it's specified, that we are ministers and the whole body of Christ as ministers um, in a broken and complex world. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, just that understanding of this is where we are at and we are called to bring the light. Well, at the heart of things, I mean, we can talk all we want to about issues but God deals in the commodity of, if you want to call it that, that's maybe a bad choice of word, but God deals with people. Mm -hmm. And until I can see you as neighbor, until I can see you as a human being, um, until I can see you with the eyes of Christ, mm -hmm. then I... Yeah, there's... Then I'm, I'm I don't know, I'm not... <laughs> You're not, I guess, fully human in, yeah. in some ways. Or I've got some growing up to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I, you know, we all do. You, yeah, sometimes we choose <laughs> not to act in a We'd rather fashion. talk about the issues. Yeah. Because it's easier. It's not as messy. It's not as entangled. Mm -hmm. and, and you can say, all right, well... Therefore, be it resolved that dot, 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 on this issue, on this matter, this is how we feel as United Methodists, as Christians, as, you know, whatever your descriptor is. Yeah. And it's usually not that simple. Mm -hmm. that, that is the story of, of faith and, and scripture and Christianity is it's a messy world with messed up people. And for whatever reason, 
God still loves us and and wants mm -hmm. wants the best for us. And on that note, here ends our podcast with Renee Ford. Thank you to Pastor Renee Ford for taking time out of her very, very busy schedule to be interviewed for this episode of the Waterworks Ministries podcast. Waterworks Ministries is a ministry of empowerment, knowledge, and nurture, and we hope you gained some of that from listening today. For more information on Waterworks Ministries, check out our website at www.waterworksministries.org, or you can find us on Facebook at Waterworks Ministries. Thank you so much for listening, friends. Grace and peace and blessings on the journey. I'm your host, Reverend Karen Weiss, wishing you the best today.